So you want to talk farm management again? <clears throat> yeah, because I got a picture and some of the guys on here I've shared this picture with of a farm recently in Missouri, Missouri. that brought 35,000 35, an acre. In Missouri? In it's not even an I state. In Missouri or misery. Uh, bid on between two farmers. Yep. And um, so <laughs> I know land is just assets to hold cash to fight off the depreciations and things like that. But damn, that's not even tax deductible. No. No. If you took every Gray, you'll probably dollar, never have to pay capital gains if you sell it. <laughs> yeah, the government pay you a capital loss. Huh? Maybe sell it at a loss and they can deduct it on their taxes or something else. Gosh dang, I've got definitely something better off to do with that. Yeah, I know, right? But, yeah, I don't know. That's just insane. But anyway, the whole point is, is like, WTF. Yeah. What is that about? Dick size big or what? Big <laughs> syndrome. That's big schlong syndrome is so, what that is. I see a lot of guys do that right. Terrible leases and right. Or do stupid things just to be bigger. Yeah. I ain't got time for that crap. No, it's, I'll tell you, that was something really interesting early on is, uh, Ben was negotiate. Well, it was, you were picking up that a new farm, uh, new to you. And you went into the mentality of, if I don't get this farm, I'll be fine. I didn't really want it. Yeah, not really. And you just took your terms to the owner and like, these, these this is it. I this laid out two it. options. Both of them are pretty good into my favor. And that's what they, uh, I said, this is what I'll do. And if you don't want to do it, then I don't really want it because I'm already busy as it is now. Yeah. You come back and took one at the time. It's not the one I preferred, but now I do. I like it a lot more. Well, but, but the, the, Farmers don't value themselves. No. So last time we talked about know your worth, right? Yeah. Know your worth in the day that you're in. Okay. So. Yes. We, I forgot we were going to touch on that. Sometimes. So, we, a couple guys were like, well, I'm doing custom work. Right. We were, ben was kind of, he wasn't, he was just talking about he didn't have time to do custom drilling and things that like mine? that. I don't know. That was here since we got oh, here. Oh, I'm not touching it then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sometimes you do stuff in your time. I don't, you pretty much can't pay me enough to go mess with it because I'm too busy or whatever. So my time per hour is like stupid high. And then other times it's like, you know what? I ain't got nothing to do. Even if it's a $20 an hour job and it gives you something to do in your board anyway, then sweep. yeah, sure. Go do it. Ben's relaxation is running a sweep. Kinda. Generally. Yeah. I don't know, this, this last time when you were sweeping ground, man, you were happy as can be. You're just it's, happy, it's happy, in, happy. Enjoyable from time to time, but yeah. <laughs> there's there's yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> now there are other Sir, times that men's been running. Mowing asleep. a yard or mowing I enjoy mowing. Okay. That's one. Yeah. I mean I can hire that done, but I enjoy it. Yeah. And it's therapeutic or whatever sure there's something else i enjoy that's something like that but anyway nonetheless fishing. yeah but that's not harming you're not gonna go pay somebody to go fish because you ain't got time to do it i don't dude okay hang on <clears throat> i sent this to aaron uh last night there was a guy he boiled 300 hot dogs in water okay this huge vat of water he bought these cute little jars and he printed off this sticker and it said pre-boiled hot dog water. And he puts, filled these jars, these little glass jars with this cute little sticker with this water that he boiled 300 hot dogs with. 300 of these jars, mind you. And he sold them for like $20 and he sold out. What the heck are they using he sold for? Out. It was this dumb thing. He's like, this is proof if you market something right, anyone will buy it. It was, <laughs> I mean, literally, it was this, it was like hilarious. It was funny. Uh, this, I mean, this nice jar, you know, the labeling was, was kind of funny. That's and probably it, it. it. You know, and it's like, it's so absurd. <laughs> People bought People it for bought gags it. or something. Yeah. Dude made five grand boiling 300 hot dogs. Hmm. <laughs> 
I'm like, oh, this is what? So when I was in Canada, we were talking about the ag industry and he's the guy I was sitting there with, he goes, this industry, you can literally sell pure crap. And that's saying it nicely compared to what he says. Yes. And, um, he's like, you could just take water and make it muddy and filter it out and put it in a tank and tell everybody it's great and put a price tag on it. And that's it. And we see more and more and more of that. Typically, and the funny part is, is a lot of times those kind of deals work. So I joke that we need to make a product called placebo. Yes. And, and just we'll name it that. Name it placebo. Yes. And it's nothing but water. And the idea is, is that sometimes you put so much on, you work so stinking hard, you're actually making it worse. And so if you put placebo on, <laughs> you you're think you're doing something yourself, and it actually and works because you didn't add something. Right. So, <laughs> oh, it's funny. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny because we, we, you know, our number one complaint is that we're too cheap. Mm -hmm. People don't feel like they're getting value if they're not paying a ton of money for it. So Ben was like, so what we need to do is we need to have normal product at this X price and then five times the price and have the same product, same label, everything, just five times. Mm -hmm. Same. I mean, same concentrations on the front, everything. He's it's guaranteed we'd sell more of the other one because mm -hmm. people think they're getting more, mm -hmm. more money they spend. Oh, yeah. They think that they're doing better. Yep. It's kind of like that guy I was telling you about the 13, he had $1,300 an acre into his corn crop. Yep. And his, his, uh, APH was 222 bushel corn, you know, so to at, say at next year's price, say that $5, um, he's breaking even. Barely it for, if it's, you know, say today's price four fifty say, say he just hits his APH four fifty corn. I mean, he's already a couple hundred bucks in the hole. Right. On $1,300 input. And it's like, so crap. This has been a talk that me and you and a lot of people have had. You start their season out with a capture of what does it? 10%. Is that what you said? His goal was to make 10% profit. On the 10%. Farm. So spend a million, make a hundred thousand. Right. And I, I tell people this and they think I'm insane, but I can prove it all day long. I start at 300. That's my goal. 300%, not $300, 300% investment. Right. That's my year goal. Last two years, I've been a hell of a lot higher than that. Right. Uh, last year I was closer to 700. Yeah. Um, but that's my year in and year out goal. Now I don't do stupid stuff. That's the thing. Now, do I trial things? Absolutely. Do I push the envelope here and there? Absolutely. But I watch what works and I know what doesn't work and I'm not chasing the white rabbit and I don't do those kind of things. Plus, if you can make it on paper work for me and work better, I don't care how unconventional it is. I'll probably sign it. Yeah. It. I just don't care. It, I am the definition of spinning on a dime basically josh yeah. always tells me you change your mind like you change your underwear well if the opportunity comes up pivot and get on the guy always has clean underwear <laughs> that's right i am only basing that <laughs> off the fact that he changes his mind well it's not change it's just like you're you're willing to tran to change if it pencils out and makes sense if it makes sense i'm gonna do it yeah. even if it's non-tradition how many people will just do the same thing over and over because this is how we've done it yeah this is how we've done it. well didn't work that we'll try again next year well even you i have like why don't oh, you check yeah, into this and you're like well i kind of like cutting or picking corn yeah or whatever and well pencil it yeah and if it makes more sense and you keep doing it over and over especially if you can find all the tiny little things so we do straw occasionally. We do, um, this year we're doing a lot of silage and then compan combining that with additional silage programs and cover crop and all these other things that are going on. And then you can also work the insurance into it. Suddenly it makes one hell of a difference. Oh, absolutely. So I actually had a talk, <laughs> the landowner yesterday. I almost just... First of all, I already, in know. Business, I already know what landowner it is. Yes. Just by your expression. <laughs> How is he? Uh, crazy. Okay. Um, so in business, 
you got to leave emotion out. Now, obviously, there is morals and things like that. But I don't care what the company is on insurance side. They don't give two freaking rips about you. They do not care. You are a number on a sheet. Period. Yeah. So to come to me, in particular, we're looking at switching his insurance because mm. he's been having a rough time. But his exact words were, Latin, I mean, a month ago he was pissed and he wanted to switch. Now it's, well, we've had a lot of claims. I'd kind of like to stay with them so they can earn their money back before I switch. It's like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. It's business. Okay. If they failed you, you move. I don't care if you claimed or not. That's business tough. They'll do it to you. You do it to them. This is just business transitions. It's called insurance. Yeah. And besides that, they get 60%. What you pay them adds 60% more and that's what the government pays them. Yeah. So their risk on you is tiny. Yeah. It is not as big as people think. So, and I'll bet they're subsidized even on the back end that we don't know. Probably, about. if there is a humongous claim, like like widespread drought claim, yeah, I there's guarantee no there's way federal kickback into yeah, that as well. Got to be federal kickback. Yeah. So we got. Uh, say you have a hundred thousand dollar guarantee. They're going to receive about seventy thousand in premiums mm-hmm. for that hundred grand. Yeah. And so they and they make up the rest in, in policy volume. So they have more policies and they cover that. But don't feel bad because they are so covered it's ridiculous. That's the reason why everybody and their dog sells insurance. Because yeah. there's more money in insurance than about anything you do. Sure. We do a level of insurance that's even above that. Yeah. In in the banking world. So it's kind of like business is business. I know that's tangent off to the side of what we're talking about farm management but the whole idea is is that when you're deciding what to do on a farm don't get hung up in tradition don't screw people but don't be afraid to do good business yeah that's the moral of that whole tangent sure just and you know everyone multiple people can win you don't have to have a business deal where there will be losers you know out the gate yeah. You know, that's the goal of what we're trying to do is every, you know, if you want to win, you can win, you know, start at the farmer. Let's, if the farmer wins, everyone else is going to win. And, uh, anyway, and if you don't want the farmer to win, then you can freaking die. I don't care. <laughs> Death to you. Yeah. Just, just burn. Anyway. Uh, so, but yeah. Starting out with 10% is you need to find something else. Oh, my word. Something's wrong. Yeah. As I told Ben, your 9% operating loans can going to, woohoo, you made a percent. Yeah. You know. There is a lot of that. Hope is not a business plan. I actually seen, I think it was hope was not a marketing strategy, I think is what it was. Yes. It used to hang above a, a yes. manager's office. Yep. But, um. Yeah, you've got to figure in that you're going to have fallbacks and stuff. We know nature gets its first cut. Yeah. And then the market will get theirs, and then you'll have the rest to fight among your agronomic inputs and everything else. Yeah. So you got to start with room. Start with a 10% goal. That's awful. That's terrible. You need to look something else. Non-traditionals, other potential avenues. Um, limit your your risk with insurance, which a lot of people I've never made it. I hear that all the time. I've never made a dime on insurance. I've never paid a dime to insurance. Now it doesn't mean I have endless claims. What it means is that if you take a 10 year average, I clean their clock in 10 years and we still have stupid high APHs. Yeah. Well, and I mean, every, you hear in so many of these crop input that sides, you know, all, if you buy this, it will give you a five bushel, you know, boost, which equates out to say beans would be $60 an acre. Okay. Well, that's more than 10, you know, it's, it's so much of agriculture is advertised by percent gained by an application. It's like, okay, well, freaking Brad was the one that said you don't pay taxes on, uh, saved money right you don't pay tax on saved money and i was sitting there like holy crap that is a kind of but you know so that was one thing i kind of thought into and 
So not really, because it depends on how you are spending it. True. Because if you're spending it on agronomic input, then yes, if you save that money, you're paying tax. Yeah. If you spend it, you take it off your tax. So that's not entirely accurate. Sure. But uh, to rebring it back in, though, in ROI, then it's taxed again. Taxed again. Yeah. yeah. So I can see his point, but it's not an entirely perfect straight line. No. It's just some might think, but... Uh, not with Brad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, you know, it's like, okay, if I spend a dollar, I'd really like to make a couple of dollars. That's the goal here. I don't want to spend a dollar and make 10 cents. No, but the whole point, I had a guy tell me this one time, he's like, Five bushel here, ten here, twenty there, blah blah blah. I should be raising at least two thousand bushel by now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it just that's right. The and that's the thing when you get these shotgun programs. That's what I call them. These programs that we take everything in the freaking warehouse and we're going to put it in that tank. Yeah. And then I guarantee we will get some return because twenty five bushel missed. an acre boost. Exactly. So so you come in and you go after that and and then. Out of all those ingredients, one actually worked. Yeah. So I always thought when it comes to new product or new whatever, the, the thing is, is not where it works. It's where it doesn't work. Mm. That's what you need to know. Because they will not tell you where it does not work. No. They will just tell you where it works. And where it works tends to be in most people's cases everywhere. Yeah. Or nearly everywhere. A little bit on every pass. Yes, exactly. So we... <laughs> I want to know exactly specifically where it won't work because if I know where it won't work, it'll tell me what it's doing. Sure. If I can figure out what it's doing, then I can specifically target an acre and know exactly what I'm going to do with it. Well, there was a guy that reached out to us um, and he was talking about, or you, you and I talked about this guy, gentleman's call after the fact. And you were like, I'm not going to recommend humic to him because his organic matter levels are like stupid high. It's like, I don't think humix is going to help him. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So and we know pri primarily what humic does and where exactly it's going to accelerate. Most but we are yeah. noticing where it does not return. Yeah. And that's where we're kind of dialing in those fine-tuned things. So we have all these starter lines, and each starter line is formulated for an environment, which most people have something similar. But the industry that tends to cater to specific scenarios is genetics. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to take starters and foliars and cater that more to the sign of things like genetics are. Take this one. If you got these scenarios, that's the one you want. If you got these scenarios, that's the one you want. Not this. Well, this one has this, this, and this, and this one has this, and this has 500 million grams of uranium in it, and this one's got... <laughs> <laughs> five hundred. This one's million. got nitroglycerin, no, and this five one's got... tenths of a gram <laughs> yeah. of uranium. So... You got all these things. There's like and three people on this podcast <laughs> are dying laughing yeah. right now because they know what that reference is to. <laughs> so, but but you get all these things and you, you don't know. Right. Like, okay, that has all these trace elements and then this one has a catalyst and this one has this and this one has that. Unless you know what it is and what they do, you don't really know. And sure. then you don't even know what that catalyst or whatever is anyway because <clears throat> they don't tell you. But we build it specifically for a scenario. A rain would have added 25 bushel an acre to my corn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, geez, an application so, you can't buy unless you're Ben and you just flip your switch. No, some water comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, as the irrigation guys are, you know, wanting to burn me alive. Flip now. you off right mm -hmm. now is what they're doing. <laughs> so. Freaking Justin. Oh my goodness! So Justin called me this, you know, this week. Hey, what is, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite that bad. <laughs> he's like, he's he's want he's he's picking corn that's the height of the combine. He's fifteen inch corn, like forty thousand pop or something. I mean, <clears throat> so he's 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 raising like trees, and he's like, man, I want to, I want to, I want to eat this. I want this residue to. You know, very be, to be very highly uh, biologically active to decompose faster than ours. He was going to run humic sugar and a little bit of nitrogen and sulfur and spray it on. And uh, anyway, oh man, 
I don't even know where I was going with that, but Justin, I, I heard from Justin this week and it was good. It was good. He's cutting some tremendous corn and he's not crazy excited, but, no. but he's cut some pretty big high yields in his days too. So no, did he, did he <laughs> text that to us. No, it was snap. Dang it. Yeah. So he's, uh, having a great year, but yeah, I don't know where you were going with that. Um, I'm trying to, I wish I had it saved cause he's like, uh, bring a gun. <laughs> he goes over the old monitors like three something. It like was that. like 280. Yeah, 280. I guess Stroberg was <clears throat> the one that was over three. Mm-hmm. He broke three. Um, anyway, just, just freaking hilarious, man. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things in the, um, world that don't work. And there's a lot of things that make no sense. And some may make sense, but we don't even know what's going on. That's the vast majority. It may work, but it may not be feasible or scalable yet. Yeah. You know, it's like... So the hardest thing, we take the farming aside, the hardest thing that I've found in in the company and in my role in the company (laughs) is getting... I love startup companies, like all of them out there. They have some incredible technologies, whether or not they get them off the ground and actually running is a whole different discussion, Right. but they have some great stuff. But every time you come up with one that's got a new technology, particularly a product, I get the same spiel. You were sitting in one of the meetings that I was at that he goes on. We, we work everywhere, everywhere, every pass, every time. Right. And it's like, and oh my gosh. Bull. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> So I talked to his agronomist, actually it's his PhD soil specialist. And this was actually on the way to Canada. And I was talking to him and I talked to him on the phone and I told him what he, this guy said. And I said, yeah, that's not going to work. I need an actual tangible thing. Like I, you got to tell me specifics. And his whole thing is, well, it's not entirely wrong. You just need to know why. And that's entirely how we work. Farm wise, company wise, doesn't matter. That's how I work. You got to tell me why. Because if you tell me everywhere, everything, every time, I'm done. I'm not even going to mess what with it. What farmer's not going to tune out? Yeah. That's like greatest used car salesman speech of all time. Yeah. You know, it's the greatest thing of your life. Woo-hoo. Yeah. And the technology, we've been digging through this. And every time we get into a new deal like this, it's, I got this Dropbox file. I'm not sure with you. And I open it up and there's 500 and some odd files in this damn yes, thing. Yes. And then, holy crap, this is going to take me six months to digest all this out and figure out what we need out of here. Yep. But the bad part is, is that you constantly have to digest this stuff and bring it down a level that people can actually understand in what makes sense because we find companies constantly that don't even have a direction that have $55 million funding budgets and they don't even understand what the heck they're doing. No, but boy, the gosh, they've works. got a product. The product works. Yeah. But there's nothing else with it. And yeah. we don't know. And then here we are as farmers doing their R&D. That's not entirely wrong because you need to get a product off the shelf and you need it moving. And you can't really determine where it's going to go until you get it out there. But I can't just throw it out there in random and hope like hell we get a result that we're going to work with. Right. So... All this is a matter of trying to figure out what the heck we're doing with half this crap and what exactly is going to work. And that's the only way you're ever going to get to that two, 300% kind of stuff. Well, and I mean, that's, that's why we started this whole thing. You know, it's like, it's helped yeah, separate it the started. crap. From- so I had to give this our, our, and so in business, not everybody knows these terms, but in business, we have this thing called casting the vision. And casting the vision is essentially taking a company that you're part of, and then you're basically going through and determining uh, what, uh, oh, here we go. Yeah, there we go. Um, Casting the direction of a company, where it comes from, all these parameters that got you to where you are and where you're going. And so we talk about this and, and everything we have started over the years, what we got today and where we're going is all about education. Because if you don't know... One, if you don't know, you're dependent on the other guy. Right. If he's gone, you're screwed. Yep. You got to find another one. If you know, then you can start making decisions on your own. Sure. Lack of knowledge and having somebody tell you everything to do creates farm dependency. You're dependent on somebody else. Education and knowing where to go creates independency, and then you're good. 
Hence why there's so many guys driving around in brand new pickup trucks. Yep. With a polo, as Lormu would and, say, with a polo. With a polo. Knowing how to spend your money. And there's, that's the modern day ag. It that's, is. That's what everybody knows. Whatever my agronomist told me to do, that's what I'm going to do. That's. Well, what, what are, you're not a farmer. You're not a farmer anymore. Yeah. You're a guy that drives shiny equipment. Mm-hmm. I don't, if you want to drive shiny equipment, that's fine. If that's yeah. what you want to do in life, great. But what's the, What's your long-term goal? Do you just want to farm and be told what to do? Do you want to be the boss? Do you want to make the decisions? Are you actually making the decision? Or are you just a guy that's sitting there being told what to do and financing it all? Mm-hmm. And taking well, you all get the into risk. This whole, if you know you can stand for something, mm-hmm. understand what you're doing. If you, if you stand for, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. Yes. And so that's everybody that not, not everybody, a Toby but Keith a good. Song? I don't know if that is or not. I've just heard that term before, it's and Toby it's a Keith. pretty pretty accurate statement. Yeah. But if you don't know, you're you're gullible to everything. Yeah. And that's definitely a big issue. So that's the idea we push this on. That's where we've come from. If you want to know how to build your own starter, I'll tell you exactly what to do, and I'll tell you exactly what it does in there, and why we do it, and then I'll sell you, or you can go source your own raw ingredient and build it yourself. Mm-hmm. If you want, you can email me and I'll build you a starter and I'll tell you where to get it and everything and we'll go from there. Yeah. I have no problem doing that. we'll tell you that. what not to put in there. Yep. No, I have no do problem this. doing that because we source some of the best stuff. Every, you hear that everywhere. Right. If you got one better, let me know because that's something we're going to try to find out. we're going to bring it in. Yeah. And, we'll and I have heard it. this. We'll do the in-house testing and find out if it's actually better. Yeah. And I've had guys call me and go, I've heard about this. It's ridiculously cheap what do you think and all this stuff i don't get mad about that stuff that sounds great sure this is how singular was started right. this exact idea right here yeah and so so then we just go to them well and he he brought one in particular brought me the stuff and i went through it and it's like well now i i can tell you what the problem is it was the product had a, a low grade it mm-hmm. was drastically lower but it follows the same thing of Ours is great, blah, blah, blah. This is so awesome. We've got the best in the world, blah, blah, blah. And so don't fall for that because most people are just told to say that. And then if you got a grunt man, salesmen are grunt men, most of them, they're just running around doing what they're told. And so just don't fall for that. Get the analysis, get whatever you're doing and figure out what's actually there. Yeah. But that's a lot of tangent ranting. <laughs> it's good. So it's good. We love been tangent rants. You have tangent rant about markets? No, I don't even know what's going on in markets right now. I don't know. They're talking about government shutdown the end of the week, and if that oh. happens, it'll delay the WASD report till January. On on budgets? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's like every year thing, twice a year. I know. We're shut down. You're not shutting down. Just so we happy to do it right over the WASD report, and if we don't release it Friday, it won't ever come out. Yeah. We'll wait till the January one. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, now we weren't so corrupt. It's not even funny. Oh, oh yeah, I already ranted about that. About corruption, market corruption. Oh yeah, a couple podcasts ago. But anyway, enough of the whole market corruption thing. Uh, farm management. I, I'm, both of us have been like blown away by the number. Excuse me, number of people that reached out after the farm when we just talked about management on the farm and risk management, mm-hmm. you know, people were like, man, that's really, really true. You know, how do I make me think about things or, you know, I've maybe guys, I've been thinking the exact same thing or guys that, Hey, I've learned to manage risk by doing X, Y, Z. You know, it's like, man, that's a great idea. So anyway, I don't know. I've, <sighs> <laughs> My whole life is changing so fast right now. It does. And then when you get in the hot seat and things start happening, you know, no matter how the, or what you're doing in particular, typically when it starts going up, it really starts going up. Most people tendencies to pull it down. They don't like that. It gets uncomfortable. Me, if things get wild, I just shove the throttle in the afterburner because it's, Typically, going faster is the better option than slowing down. Slowing down is when you get all tore up. Right. But uh, that's the when you get stuck in a rut. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, back on the other talk of farm management, time management, top in ROI, top in farm output, financial outputs, things like that. You know, figuring out time, figuring out things that are worth it. You know, one thing in particular, we're talking about trying to grab a third crop this year mm. off of the same acres yeah. and whether or not it was worth it. And by the time we figured it out, it wasn't worth it for me because I need to be doing these kind of things. And so, but for some guys, it might actually work out better because if you're just going to leave it sit idle or whatever, then there might be potential for more revenue. So everybody's what's valuable and what's not to turn out an ROI is different. Mm -hmm. And the time of the year that you're in is different. Most farms get less busy in the winter. I don't. I get 10, 15 so fold get busier. Even busier. Yeah. I don't even have a time to cut firewood. Yeah. My slowest time is July. Now, that's, the companies are slowing down. The only thing that tends to be going is irrigation. And even that, I do work in irrigation development too with some of the companies that develop um, some of the technologies that are out today. But there's not a lot going on. But so July for me is more of a, just a recoup period. But, um, you know, winter, January is not a bad season for stuff. No. Ag related, but we're, we're pretty be busy. We're this January than ever before. Yeah. So there's a lot going. I, so, I don't even know if we're going to survive March. Oh, yeah. There's some huge stuff coming for March. How are we gonna, we'll, we'll let that all out dead. here, hopefully within the next. We're already dead. <laughs> We'll make it. We You've died it so many times. We you... made it through. Like, oh, dude, I'd make a cat look like a freaking um, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, it just kills you when you have to keep it clean, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it's not that bad. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm pretty pretty loose with what I like. I mean, I just say things how they are. Some people find it offensive that I speak so boldly. Tends to drive those people away from me, which keeps my life a little easier. Mm -hmm. But then yet again, you find a whole lot of people that enjoy being, honestly, around, I'm not saying people enjoy being around me, but they find comic relief in just brutal honesty. Mm -hmm. It's like something they can connect to. They're like, this, it, it, you know, it's like showing, instead of showing like 240 on the yield monitor, the whole harvest, it's like, oh, but nobody else is picking seven bushel corn today. You know, mm -hmm. people are like, okay, this, you know, so many people put on a front, you know, they've, some dude sitting there with his perfectly waxed combine or some chick sitting there with a boob job and perfect makeup. And it's like, <laughs> you know, that's the only thing you see, mm -hmm. you know, you don't see when they got a, you know, a freaking bruise or you know or a dent in the side of their truck or you know or hailed out crop or whatever it might be you only see this beautiful cornfield or whatever it might be that's that's another good point you get in the world of ag and it's all about appearance probably more than Talked any about this yesterday any any industry i've ever been involved in what were we talking about we we're talking about the rat white rabbit syndrome or shiny paint just paint you know, I mean, guys like driving brand new stuff. Yeah. It's cool, but. Oh, um, so in the psychology world, that's considered a condition. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. So, what is it? Um, it it's a crutch. <laughs> um, narcissism. <laughs> no, it's not narcissism. <laughs> um. Oh, man. It, it's a. It's a crutch in a way to make somebody feel fulfilled. So I trained in John Maxwell's group and I've trained with Tony Robbins. And so one thing that, I mean, John Maxwell's great for business. Tony Robbins is great for understanding human psychology. Some of his stuff is a little odd. If anybody ever gets into one of those, be prepared. There's some weird things. But the thing that he does talk about is a world of fulfillment. Dopamine independence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so people need to feel fulfilled. Now, what the base human needs are in feeling fulfillment change. Mm. But there's only six total. Mm. And everybody falls into one of six categories, some of multiple or whatever. So I just remember mine two. One of them is uh, significance and the other is contribution. Mm. So I have a need to feel 
like I'm helping people all the time and, and to bring a significance role and or bring a role of significance in that. And that's my base human need now. So there's other ones. I can't remember them all, but some people it's a matter equipment or whatever would fall under significance. Makes you feel cool that you got good, cool stuff, which it is cool. It's you know? cool. Yeah. But, uh, it's very short lived. I want to own a quad track. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's it, a goal it, of mine. It's short lived. And so progress, everything leads back to progress, no matter what your base need is. It all comes back to progress. So if you feel like you're progressing and whatever you view as important in life, you'll be happy. So for us, for me, I was able to readjust. I used to be somewhat in the new shiny equipment world. I think everybody goes through a phase that. Yeah. But now it's more of providing for others on helping them understand and become highly productive. That's fulfillment and progress for me. And so it's a lot easier need to fill because it's, there's lots of people that can use assistance or, you know, whatever, but that's part of that whole line. So shiny paint, white rabbit syndrome, yield is another one. Top end yield. Oh my gosh. Very rarely when I was chasing contests, you still do some contests. I've got out of it since. We would talk about this whole deal. August is the month of promise in the West, or you guys, it's, you know, first August into July. Yeah. The month of promise. Everything looks phenomenal. This is going to be 400, 500 bushel corn. This is the year we hit it. Yep. Halfway through August for you guys-ish in first of September, that fit the 30-day window is a month of reality and disappointment. <laughs> That's the way tip, it works. Tip back. Firing leaves, mm-hmm. aborted pods. There's a lot of that going on. So oh. it's very difficult because everybody teaches you in all the industry, the whole industry to chase the white rabbit. You know, what are you looking for? And then are going to promote things that are more rare. And then if you t- happen to find it, then all of a sudden, holy cow, this right. is going to be big. But it's this whole dopamine ride. So... The funny thing is the industry drives this at an accelerated, way amp- amplified rate. Corn Warriors, Podfathers, whatever Randy and David deal, they promote that because that drives excess spending. You're going to shoot for that. I've done five, 600 pounds a in trying to hit those deals. It doesn't work. Yeah. It does not work. Phosphorus, big loads of phosphorus, big loads of potassium, every trace element on the planet, you know, crossing that field, if you go to my hometown, people even tell you that I used to fly fields seven, eight times in a season, fly them and then ground rig them two or three times too. chasing that. And you know what? I never got any higher than when I was more conservative. Yeah. I got 315. I've got up there in the threes, but I can do that under normal management too. So it was this whole white rabbit chase the white rabbit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Well, now we're looking at how do we make the farm more sustainable? Uh, Okay. What if we know that out here in dry land, I mean, we can raise 100 bushel corn pretty consistently. Okay. Let's make 100 bushel corn profitable, you know, because that's a whole heck of a lot easier to hit than 250 bushel corn, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and it's so much less money up front. It's so much, you know, it's, it's like, let's, let's, let's make a hundred bushel an acre real profitable and let's do 125, then let's do 150, mm-hmm. you know, you know, cause that's, it's so much easier to hit. Yeah. So much easier to hit. It, it's easier. In, in the, uh, I, the, I, the, 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 I, I state guys are just laughing at me, hundred bushel of corn. I mean, that doesn't even pay their rent. Legit right. doesn't pay their rent. Right. You know, Gibson on a deal the other day, $530 an acre cash rent mm-hmm. piece per of year. Rent. Yeah, per year. Yeah, $530 an acre. And everybody's world's different. It is. There tends to be, and I talked about this before, that when you really start getting on the high end, the levels of ROI start to close a lot. Mm. And so there's going to be a level where that really starts to speed up. Sure. So for every dollar, you know, on that 
150 to 200 bushel range, every dollar you may be getting returned 20 yeah. or 10. You know, it's very, very efficient. Once you cross 200, it drops. These are just, just an example. This is not an actual number. And it's going to drop back maybe to five. Once you're over 250, now you're down to like two or one and a half for every dollar. It just drastically goes off. And so where's that sweet spot? For me, it's in the low 200s to mid 200s. Mine's 170. Yeah. 160. It's, it, it's the weirdest deal. It's funny you mentioned that. The years I've made the most money farming is not the years I've raised 200 bushel corn. It's the years I've raised 160, 170. Mm -hmm. It's funny how that works. Mm -hmm. Funny how that works. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So the guys are sitting here like 200 bushel corn will pay better than 170. Well, oftentimes I was shooting for 130 mm -hmm. on those years, trying to manage risk and everything else. And we got the right reins and the corn made 170. It's the years I'm shooting for 220 that we've seldom hit it. Right. So, yeah. you know, and if we do, we got so much in it, it doesn't pencil out really. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of things with that. I don't know. I just... You get into some of that one thing, harsh reality, this is my opinion. And don't take it out there and say it's absolutely law. But if you're not near a large body of water, your chances of breaking 400 are very low. Yeah. You said that several times this year. You need a climate regulator. Yeah. And the best thing for that is oceans or giant lakes. Yeah. So the Great Lakes... There's some great big yields being done up there, and there's great big yields being done on the East Coast. And within so many Yeah, the world record that, corn is not grown in Iowa. No. Or Illinois, or no. Indiana. And it's not even just crazy good soil either. No. It's in, well, where's David Hula at? Connecticut? He's New in, Hampshire. I don't know. It's it? where, I it's, thought it's it was Virginia. Columbus, it's, where, it's where the pilgrims landed. Because <laughs> uh, he got some pilgrim seed that hadn't been screwed with. Exactly. No, I'm just kidding. Some non-GMO corn. Uh... <laughs> Uh, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean. Hang on, Plymouth. Plymouth, is it? Yeah. Um, what what were the uh, P, uh, Pilgrims? P I L G M. Virginia. It's Virginia. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought it was. So yeah, but it, he, it's he near the ocean. Jamestown. He he farms. I remember him talking about on one of the Podfather or uh, Corn Warriors videos. He farms ground at where the original Jamestown was at. Mm -hmm. Randy Dowdy. He's down in Georgia? Georgia. Georgia. You know. There's that 450 bushel guys in Michigan. Wasn't that Hedrick? Great Lakes. Jake Hedrick? We're, Jake uh, Hedrick I'm hit not sure. 400 and something. I'm not sure. I mean, Kalb has hit 400. But he's... He's a, down in the Delta, isn't he? No, Kalb's in, in uh, Illinois. Or Illinois. But he's, uh, he can't know. break it. Yeah. He, There's now, these, uh, that's incredible corn. Yeah. It's incredible corn, but it's not, it's a long freaking way from 600. I'm telling you, I've seen, <laughs> I've studied and studied and seen and been all over the country. Well, all over North America looking at corn. And there is, if you lack the climate control, you are going to really struggle pushing them really, really stupid high yields. Southern Indiana. Okay. That's what Google says. Yeah. Dubois, Indiana. So it just seems hard to do it because corn, I have found, does not like massive temperature swings. It likes steady. Yeah. And so if you go down there where corn's native, it's really close to the equator. Mm. And that doesn't change. Right. Their, their temperatures are very, very stable. And that's why... I mean, some of the evolution of corn, now corn's completely a domesticated plant. There's no such thing as natural corn. But um, beyond that, it loves um, the uh, level climate. And the best thing for that is large bodies of water. Yeah. So that being said, if you're running out there after 500 bushel corn, the chances of move. getting that... <laughs> move. move. The chances of getting that are so minimal don't you're chasing a white rabbit the industry pro like props you up to believe these things are absolutely not saying they're impossible but that they're they're very very achievable but that's so circumstantial on your location 
and so, how much things you got going for you environmentally because weather mother nature gets its cut first period and it usually comes in the form of temperature and water so let's see jake hedrick or russell and jake hedrick 459 bushel corn they planted it at four forty six, just under 46,000 population did it on six tenths of a pound of in and he got 10 bushel per thousand. Yep. You know, now granted, um, let's see. The university of Illinois gets 411 out of 52,000. So. Yeah. Know, beans we keep on talking the other about hand. maximizing yield. Yeah. So beans on the other hand are, are more tolerable to those kind of things. Oh yeah. So yeah, beans are, are really the crop of higher potential. If you ask me, There's okay. More potential. In Here's it. a good question. If a, if a farmer is, let's say he's financially strapped, let's say, I mean, he's rough year this year. Crops did not do well and he's sitting pretty, pretty, pretty not things are really tight going in next year. How does he manage that? What does he do? How's the best game plan to pull off a profitable year next year to pull himself out of a hole? Well, the first thing I would do is I would look and go, what's your farm averaging year in and year out? Mm -hmm. And then I would target maybe slightly above that and not a lot. So if you're hitting in your world, 150 bushel corn every year on average over 10 years or five years or whatever you want to use, Five to 10 years, 160 should be your top. So you're going to plant for 160, you're going to fertilize for 160, and you're going to take care of 160. You're not shooting for 250. Mm. That is 100% suicide if you're in that scenario. Now, fields are very up and down and stuff like that, but we are seeing way more and more, particularly in the seed side, that 10 bushel per thousand is nearly law. That should be a number that should constantly be carried. Sure. So if you're at the 150, 160, you know, there's no reason to be in that 20s at all. Upper teens is probably where I would stick it. For population. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in there. Phosphorus and potassium, unless your potassium levels are stupid low, should be able with the right management to support those kind of yields without additional phosphorus. Now you can put a tiny bit of foliar to kind of help things get going or some of the biobuilder lines have a little bit of phosphorus to kickstart and some potassium as well um, just to get the thing going but everything beyond that there shouldn't be no massive map runs there should be no potash or 1152 or or 101034 or kts or something like that um the other things would is be on the nitrogen side on the low end so if you think you need a pound definitely be at three quarter I would say you could probably be closer to half if you're in that 150 bushel range. If you're focusing on stimulating soil biology. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And then, but timing matters. When mm -hmm. you get that low, timing matters a lot. So being a cheapo is essentially probably the way to do it, except you're targeting what you're getting cheap on. Mm-hmm. You're not leaving the population up, pulling fertility down, or leaving the fertility up and pulling the population down. You're specifically working things into a balance, you know, a, where the pendulum falls perfectly in the middle. So that would be slight suggestion. Um, One crop over another. Now that's circumstantial to the area. Yeah. Um, my area loves forage, use lots and lots of forage. So cereals grass crops in general so corn and cereals tend to dominate my area drastically when we come back here you guys have a lot more market for beans yeah and legumes and things like that so you're gonna have to figure that out my now, idea um was soybeans so soybeans lots of soybeans <laughs> i like soybeans because you can they're tough as crap they're tough you can support them yeah. Very effectively off of stimulant, you know, catalyst soil, soil stimulants. Um, Humix accelerates soybeans like crazy. Randall had, he, he was like, he had some double crop beans. He's like, dude, 
these things are dumb. You put Humic on and Furrow, and yep. they are freaking insane. They that works extremely well. Um, uh, the other thing is, is that the main driver in soybeans and cost is seed. We know there's no reason to be over a hundred anymore. No, we have found zero evidence. There's very, very little to zero advantage over a hundred. I am going to plant a field with my corn plates next year. Yeah, at my corn plates have 40, been in my planter for three years. Forty thousand. <laughs> so. I'm dude. I'm gonna do forty thousand. <laughs> the studies we did, fifty five was a honey hole. Yeah. Um, that tend to be the best ROI with what few you lost in emergence that it didn't make any difference. It seems to be the best spot. Yeah. So, um, grasses, I mean, there's sorghum grasses, wheat, oats, blah, 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 corn. Of all the grasses, corn seems to be the most nutrient efficient. Hmm. And then sorghums are on it's the bottom. A, it's got how exponentially more root mass though yeah it's got more workers out high high loads of carbohydrate production yeah and so it can split the load to the microbials better than most sorghums are the bottom mm. they're actually very very wasteful in nitrogen most people think it's the other way it shows that it's not necessarily the case is that why so many people worry about nitrate toxicity and feed does that have anything to do with inefficiency in the sorghums? Well, water, because you need you need to convert nitrate to more plant usable forms, and it takes other nutrients for that and water. So the plant can take it in, holds it, and waits for everything it needs to go ahead and convert. That's what drives nitrates. So you gotta have there's a ratio. There's three forms of nitrogen in a plant, and a ratio needs to stay balanced. But we uh can talk about that on another one since we're coming up on we're almost at the end <laughs> we're we're running quite a ways in so but uh nitrogen conversion drives nitrates um excess nitrogen applications drives nitrates we know that um potassium deficiencies can cause those issues there's just all sorts of things that play in so but sorghums are very inefficient <sighs> And then you've got um, Tim Kocher planting lots of sorghums with some legume crops, companion cropping, and hasn't used nitrogen in, I don't know, ever. Well, you know, the other side of that thing And is, producing crazy forage. Yeah, sorghums, the thing I like about a sorghum is that it duels up in two categories. It follows the grass, and it also classifies Nebraska. Really? Mm-hmm. And so it has a very aggressive root system. Hmm. And so it works on both sides. So there's advantages, but the other thing is, is toxicity after the plant dies. Feed, for example, gets froze. First thing it does is go into cyanide. Okay. So. Nice. Natural rumen and everything else with the acids that are produced after that make cyanide in cattle. Suffocate. Suffocates what happens. Okay. Your blood cannot carry oxygen. That's another ingest. reason to get out of cows. Totally. <laughs> Let somebody else do that. That's what, that's what I'm doing. Uh, okay. We're out of time. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Subscribe, like, share. We're on social media, YouTube, website, all that crap. Stuff. Good stuff. Whatever. <laughs> anyway. One of these Josh will talk a little more. No, no. <laughs> no, it's good. Good stuff. All right. Catch everybody later. See you guys.